Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. You know, when I watch this team, you can't deny the chemistry that you guys have going on, but you mentioned all the turnover in the lineup. How do you guys keep that with all the new faces and seems like the next man up just jumps right into that, like the way you're cheering on Drury? What, what is it about this clubhouse or the culture right now that people just assimilate and hop on board? Yeah, we just have a great vibe, honestly, in the clubhouse. Um, it's truly an internal clubhouse, and we, don't, we never get too consumed or care about anything that's happening on outside of what's going in the clubhouse. Um, everyone allows each other to be unique, to be the individual, whatever anyone needs to do to put themselves at the highest level. Um, we're very open to that. We don't try and um, say you can't do this, you can't do that. Everyone's one. It's one big family. Everyone wants to see each other um, excel each and every time. And that's all we're concerned with. Um, like I said, this is one of the best teams I've played as far as camaraderie. It's, it's, it's a blessing to come to the clubhouse every day. Does it feel special inside this clubhouse, unlike other teams you might have been a part of? 100%. I've said that from the very beginning. It just kind of has that very exciting buzz to the team. And even when we go through little spurts where we don't play well, the confidence stays the same. So that's how I kind of know um, that we're going to do special things this year. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Monday, June the 7th, 2021. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Soldi. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. Well, I'm coming to you. On an off day here, early Monday morning, hope everybody's doing well. Had a chance, and you'll hear that in just a little bit, to catch up with our friend from 98.7 ESPN, Rich Catino, after the game last night. So you'll hear that interview and that conversation. It's really not an interview, it's a conversation. I gotta get out of the interview, it's like an old school way of, of putting it. It's a conversation. Bring a guy on, we're talking Mets baseball. And what a interesting 
day to have this show because Saturday was kind of like the demarcation line where you don't know how this program is going to go. I was very surprised to see when Jacob deGrom took the mound, it was early in the ball game, when a stat came up on SNY. And it basically said the Mets are like 2-12 and 12 versus teams that are over 500. I'm like, hmm. And I started to think, well, sure, that makes sense. Chicago sweep, Tampa sweep, 0-6. They've lost two to San Diego, 0-8. And, and I was trying to figure out, I guess the other, t- and it depends, and, and that stat is, is a, a fluid stat because a team that's under 500 now, like Atlanta, very well could be over 500 at another point in the season or at the end of the season, and then that stat changes. So I don't know how they look at that, if it's the point in time when they, they play the team, whatever. I, I think it's a little deceptive because a team like Atlanta, to me, I don't think they're an under 500 team. And you can maybe, to a certain degree, make that argument with Philadelphia, though Atlanta's probably the better case over there. And as I'm, you know, I'm, I'm listening to that stat, and then I'm thinking, and I'm, and I'm finally starting to look at the standings. Because I told you, I don't look at the standings till about Memorial Day unless something extreme happens. Like extreme run, extreme situation. And I see LA, San Francisco, San Diego. I mean, these teams are, I mean, San Francisco's 15 games over 500. And you start to look at things shaking out. And you have a situation here where the Mets, who are still going to need to tread water to a certain degree with a less than ideal lineup for another two or three weeks and it's hard to see even with the pitching even with the bullpen a team like this going on a a wild run now what your hope is that they win series and and they've proven that they can do that or play even with a team like San Diego but there's been and to be fair there's been a lot of Arizona and Colorado in those in its initial record and you got to beat those teams. You know, you can't take those wins away. Philly, Atlanta, they got they, they got Atlanta early this year when Atlanta hasn't been great. But, you know, again, you can't criticize a team for their schedule because it'll all even out. Just like with the the days off and the out and, and the rainouts, it's all going to even out very soon. So, I start to look at all this and I'm like, well, the Mets are in a situation where if those teams, especially San Diego and San Francisco, or you know, San Francisco, the surprising of the group, are going to play at a very high level, a mid-90s-plus level of, of, of win total, and it's still very early, a lot could change. Just because you're 15 over now doesn't mean there's a six- or seven-game winning streak in your future, uh, losing streak in your future, and things can't change. Well, the Mets are going to have to win that division. So the Braves right now, and what's going on in Atlanta, and how the Mets need to stack up there, it's important because... With the amount of time that some key players are going to miss, and it's a possibility someone like Conforto might be out to the All-Star break, uh, playing at a high 90s level, I think this team has that ability when healthy. I don't know if they could do that now. But more importantly, I was like, they need to start playing well, and they will be playing good teams. They need to be, start playing well against good teams because what will happen here, and it's a fair point, that as they get into the weeds here, the questions will be, well, the Mets are a nice little team, and, and yes, they're injured, and yeah, they have this good pitching staff, and DeGrom, and we'll get to him, is having this historically crazy video game season, but they're not really, they're, they're, they're a paper tiger. 
I mean, you've seen teams that have made the playoffs in every sport, for, you, for those that have been watching, which have nice regular seasons. But you look at them like, well, once the, the heat gets turned up, they're going to be exposed. You could argue that the Knicks were that team just recently, just, just, just a few days ago. Nice team, nice season, not ready for the big time. So that's where Saturday and Sunday came into play and was very important. And the Mets stepped up. The Mets stepped up. And they step up with the usual suspect, which is Jacob deGrom, who goes out there and outside of one inning where it got dicey, was able to shut the San Diego offense down. A big win. And then yesterday, Marcus Stroman, who's played Robin to DeGrom's Batman, even though sometimes you feel Stroman is maybe more of a number three when it's all said and done. Stroman goes out there and matches that performance, not to the same level, but gives the Mets a great performance into the seventh inning. And the Mets complete the split. And to me, this is the first test. I know, like I said, you know, they went to St. Louis too, I should say. St. Louis is a good over 500 team. People forget. Maybe they weren't when the Mets played them. I don't know how they figured out that stat. doesn't matter. I'm, I'm, I'm missing the point. This is the first test. I know they had this series where they went to St. Louis and they split that series. But this is the first test where I felt the Mets showed me that maybe they're headed in the right direction this year. Maybe there is something. I hate to use the word special because who the hell knows what special means. But something fun is about to happen. You just heard Marcus Stroman on the way in talk about the camaraderie of the team and how they're kind of letting everybody do their thing and they're blocking out the outside stuff. That goes back to what I told everybody, the peripheral stuff. you got to block out the peripheral stuff. The thunderbolts that come in, have they gotten immune to it where guys are like next man up? And, you know, you look at them now and you're starting to say, hey, you know, they're, they're getting closer to 10 games over. That's the first threshold we talk about. And with a good series in, in Baltimore, they'll be in a position to come home. And they've played significantly more road games than home games, thanks to rain outs and bad northeast weather. And they have a lot of home games at City Field with potentially a packed stadium, well, 33,000 in play. So you have to feel really good. This is one of the few times you go into a show and I can't sit here and say, well, this bothers me, that bothers me, I'm worried about this, watch that. Just about two or three weeks ago, we did a show with Danger Signs Ahead right after the Tampa sweep. And I didn't even know at that point how bad the injuries were to McNeil and Conforto. If I had known, you know, early May, you're starting to say, ugh, maybe this isn't going to happen. Maybe the Mets are going to be buried. And away you go. So, so that's where you're at. Nobody on this team, nobody on this team is offensively at least having a tremendous season. Nothing's jumping off the baseball reference page. The pitching has been solid. The starters have been solid. Uh, you know, actually, Stroman, DeGrom, Walker have been very good. I mean, DeGrom is just in another world. And the bullpen has been everything you could have expected when they rebuilt this bullpen. Actually, the starting pitching, when you go to the back half of the rotation, Peterson and Lucchese, they haven't been great. And there's been a lot of opener games. So not everything is perfect. But they just got Seth Lugo back. Uh, they're going to be getting the offensive reinforcements back, McNeil and Conforto. I'm worried about J.D. Davis and Nemo. Those are two big pieces that I don't think are anywhere close, and I'm worried about those. Those injuries sound ominous, but you'll put that to the side right now. Billy McKinney might turn out to be a very big acquisition. Talented guy. I still wonder over the long haul, will he consistently hit? But 
good defensively, brings energy out there, has pop. And, you know, again, is this a guy that could be – he's not Nimmo. He's not going to be the run creator that Nimmo is. But he's not you – know, all due respect to Janishwi Fargus, a nice little kid, nice little player. But that's a, a guy that is a backup at best for a player. And, you know, even Mason Williams, former big-time prospect with the Yankees, you know about those Yankees prospects, right? Uh, you know, he's not that guy. You know, Mason Williams has never proven to be, you know, that guy. Bill, Billy McKinney's the one guy out of everybody that may stick here. and may have to stick because if you look, he's out of options. So if they do send him, try to send him back down, they're going to lose him. Same thing with Mason Williams. So whatever, you know, that's another story for another day. Now, DeGrom. So, story, you know, it's interesting because of how good he's been. And I go and I look at the baseball reference page and, I mean, this is video game numbers. I could not have predicted. Yeah, he's 0.62 ERA, over 14 strikeouts per nine innings, only averages one walk a game, a 6.24 ERA plus. Put it in perspective, that's three times what 2000 Pedro Martinez was. That's three times what 68 Bob Gibson was. I mean, I don't know how long this is going to last because it's still nine starts is almost a third of the way through. But this is in a store. I don't normally say the best ever, but if this keeps up, and he won't have a 0 ERA, uh, but, you know, he's going to have an ERA in the, you know, ones. I mean, I'm waiting for that first outing with, uh, you know, four innings, eight runs, or four innings, six runs to normalize it a little bit, to go from video game crazy to just crazy. Because that's where we're at now. It, it comes on the heels of all this stuff that come out, came out in Sports Illustrated with the sticky stuff on the ball. It made me wonder for a little bit. I'm like, well, you know, Mets probably have some cheaters on their team. Or guys, I hate to cheaters because it's not cheating if it's a, a, a an efficiency in everything. I mean, using sticky stuff and using performance-enhancing things has been part of sports forever. Until you get caught, I- until the league catches up where this is a problem— I don't like to get crazy about it, but for for Degrom, I'm just listening to him. I'm listening to him speak. I'm, I'm looking at the velocity. I'm saying to myself, maybe he's just really good. He's got good mechanics. He's got a great work ethic. I think one for me personally, when I think about him, one of the turning points after he was struggling, and, and recently a video of a game in Texas where he got uh, lambasted back in I think it was 2017. It was the year after he had come back from the ulnar nerve surgery, and he was struggling. And he, you were wondering if the, the milk cart was expiring on DeGrom, and ever since then, he's turned it around. And one of the things I remember back then that he started to do was to throw and talk to John Smoltz. What a great guy to talk to. Not some kind of guru, not some modern-age guru, a Hall of Fame pitcher. And, and it was one of those long-toss uh, recommendations that he started to do, and I think it helped him a lot. And he stays to a very disciplined routine. And that, to me, is the key. And anything you do in life, if you have a very disciplined routine, it's almost boring, it's almost maniacal, uh, it's OCD maybe in some cases, and there's ways to take it to the next level, and, and you have to be open to adapting and changing. But getting prepared for a start, there's like basic tenets that you have to do, and, and that's what he does, and he's good, and, and you heard Louis, you know, Louis Ross has said, Maybe he's just built this way. There's not much more you can say about DeGrom other than 
he's worked at his craft, he's smart, and he executes, look at any kind of graph about his release point. He executes at a high, high, high level. And that's what you're getting. So in this face of all this sticky stuff, here I am waxing poetic about video game numbers by Jacob deGrom. What's funny is overnight, some of the players, they must have been bored on their long flight from San Diego to Baltimore, were making references to a, a, a Twitter cop that was talking about DeGrom going to his belt. And all of them jumped right in. Pilar, McCann, Walker. Uh, all these guys jumped in and said, if this guy actually used sticky stuff, you never get a hit off of him. So the players are starting to realize something's going on here. And if that, you know, you never know what's true, what's not. But what's good to hear about this team is that if that's the reaction publicly for their ace, they're defending their ace, that tells you what kind of camaraderie that you have going on here. But more importantly, tells me that maybe policing that kind of stuff. They don't want to get involved in that kind of stuff. Because, you know, if, if you're enhanced in some way and then they start really cracking down, uh, you're going to start to see some performances fall off, and, and they don't want to be involved in that. They, they, they don't need any more peripheral distractions. They, there's enough just being here in New York. There's enough right there. So, um, you know, to me, that's that's where it's at. But what more could you say about Jacob deGrom? There's not much more. If you go back to early in the year, I, I, I talked about how we are seeing one of the best pitching performances in our lifetime, you know, maybe now all time. We're seeing 2,000 Pedro. We're seeing, you know, Randy Johnson, Greg Maddox. You know, any of those contemporary to me, late 90s, mid-90s, early 90s, whatever, crazy pitching performances we're seeing. Now, one thing that bothered me, and I know DeGrom said he was tired. He couldn't go into the eighth inning. But the, the Arizona game bothered me. I know that they had this, like, strict, what was it, 80 pitches or six innings, and he was already at the six innings. They got to start to think about unleashing him. I have been a long-time proponent of pitchers going 120 pitches. Out in Philadelphia, you're seeing a former Met, Zach Wheeler, pretty much go to eight innings every start. And beat is an efficiency, too. It's not just the innings, it's the pitches. That's the thing. You heard Gelbs talk about this on the broadcast. Not only is he great to Grom, he's efficient. He's averaging about 13, 14, 15 pitches an inning. That's For guys striking out 14 per nine, that's insanely good. You never gonna. You may never see this. If for Degrom, this might be his peak. When you see the bell curve, this is the peak, and you have an opportunity now in any short series that you play. This is your Kurt Schilling, two thousand one. This is your Randy Johnson. This is your horse that you know, two to three times in a series, you're gonna be favored to win, and the other team is gonna be scratching their head trying to figure out how to beat him. That's a special thing. Not saying he's going to drop off the cliff after 2021, but you want to capitalize on this. And you also, especially in the game in Arizona, where you don't want to give a bad team that's lost a lot of games in a row life, taking him out is almost like they breathe a sigh of relief, and the next guy, no matter how good he is, it's almost like they become superhuman in confidence. And I felt, you know, there was a big play by Mason Williams uh, that, that Sabre could have been a much bigger inning. I felt that that was a dangerous move. And then I saw them do it in San Diego, and I said, you know, this could be a problem too. You know, that's a team with some good hitters. They're on a roll. They're feeling good about themselves. Now the Grom shut them down. You don't want to lose these games. Maybe part of that is a certain PTSD from other DeGrom starts over the last two to three years. But I know they're managing him for the long haul, and that's smart. And I have no problems with doing that. 
But can we push him starting now a little bit? He's away from that injury shutdown of two weeks. He's away from the side tightness. Can we push him to 100 pitches? I, I don't think we're going to see 120 out of DeBrom in a game. I don't think they're going to do that. I think they're they're deathly afraid to do that. I think they want to go dominant, but they got to push him to 100. Maybe 110. I know that's asking a lot. You get 100 pitches and the efficiency of 13 pitches per an inning, you're going to go seven, eight innings. And uh, Mets are going to win those games. You're, you're, and, and, and let's remember the other important part of this is you got to start saving some of those bullets in the bullpen. If this bullpen is going to continue to be very good to elite, depending on how you look at it, for the rest of the year, and they're going to need that because their offense right now is improving and it will improve more when these other components come back. But it, I think it's fair to say here on June 7th, it's not going to be the offense we thought it was going to be coming out of spring training. The offense that we talked about over the winter. It's not going to be a top five offense. Just not. I, I just don't see it. I don't. I, I mean, maybe in today's game with all that's going on with offensive depression and all the stuff that was being talked about with the sticky stuff on the ball, maybe contributing to that. These guys, it's hard to hit no matter what, and, and everybody else is in the same boat. Put that all aside. Maybe it's not as good an offense as we thought. Maybe Dom Smith's not as good as we thought. You know, you're not going to have a Nimmo again for extended period. McNeil and Conforto are out and have not got on track, but they'll get back on the horse, I'm sure. Uh, I love Kevin Pillar and Jonathan VR, but they're they're maybe not everyday players on an elite offense. James McCann is coming back to being another, you know, a hybrid version of the designated for assignment McCann and the all-star McCann. So that's okay. Maybe it's not as good of an offense as we thought, and, and I think it'll be better than it is now. But they really only need to score four runs a game with the way this staff is, with the way this bullpen is. But you need this bullpen to be healthy and fresh and manage correctly, and so far they're doing that. So one of the rare times where there's a lot of platitudes, not many dark clouds, and I'm not one to just create a dark cloud, but if there is one, it'd be, hey, we need to start thinking about pushing someone. You pushed Stroman yesterday. Let's start pushing the Grom. Let's start this weekend coming up when he faces the Padres again. All right, let's take a quick break. Our friend Rich Catino, been a long time, 98.7 ESPN, is going to be joining me. We're going to talk about the series. Let's hear what his thoughts are about some of the uh, ways I'm looking at this Mets team and some of the DeGrom concerns, not concerns, but, you know, issues I have about not pushing them that extra inning. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. He's here early. He, he beats us to the park. He's here early every day, and he loves the game. Um he, enjoy, he enjoys uh, engaging in conversations with his teammates about any topic, whether it's baseball, whether it's, you know, any just any topic. He has fun. Uh, he works hard. Uh, he takes his in-between uh, routine very serious, and he does it by the book. There's nothing extra that I can tell you that he does every time he uh, he has to start and in-between the other start. Like, there's, he just does the same thing. You know, this guy's organically getting better. Um, and and all, all I can... I attribute that it's experience. And, uh, and I mean, of course, he's got, I'm going to say, the perfect frame maybe to be a pitcher, you know, with his long extremities and, you know, good physical condition so and all that. But there's nothing special that he does. We're back and a longtime friend of the show joining us. It's been a while. You know him from his uh 98.7 ESPN segments, 
TheNewYorkExtra.com. Rich Catino. Rich, welcome to the program. And you're coming to us just a little bit after the Mets split a series in San Diego. And I'll tell you what, we're looking at Father's Day in just a couple of weeks. We're past Memorial Day. And it's been 31 days that the Mets are in first place, despite 17 players on the injured list at, at any point in time this season. The offense being one of the worst offenses in the league. Sometimes it's a 4A lineup out there. Pitching and defense, the old adage, that's what the Mets have been built on throughout their history. And certainly that's been the case in 2021. So thanks for coming on and uh, a nice little end to uh, what was an interesting weekend out in San Diego. It really was. And I think, you know, it started me thinking this weekend, watching these two teams, that what a playoff series they could have if they ever match up in the playoffs. And, you know, the first two games of the series, we saw Darvish and then we saw Snell. Second two games, we saw Stroman and we saw DeGrom. And if they were in a playoff series, they'd probably be facing each other in the games they pitched, uh, not in separate games. So that's a little different. But I, I think the Mets have shown a lot of resolve and determination and focus. And um, Louis done a very good job of, of keeping them all kind of in tune with what they need to do. But, you know, these young players that have come up, and, 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 you know, listen, they have some limited abilities, but all of them have the body language that they have confidence. And that confidence is the way they've kind of gone through the Mets system, but also the confidence that the coaching staff and the manager and the veteran players have shown them. And it's, uh, they're a great story, the Mets, right now. Um, and Louis done a great job with managing this team. And they just seem to get it done. They kind of have that, I, I call it the NCAA tournament mentality. They have that survive and advance mentality. And I think that it's it's very impressive to see. But, of course, everything pales in comparison with the impressiveness of Jacob DeGrom. Absolutely. What a tremendous year. And we'll get to him. Uh, before we do that, California, it looks like that's where – a lot of the National League will will go through. I mean, the Giants, surprisingly, 15 games over 500. We know how good the Dodgers are. We saw San Diego this weekend. I, I didn't realize, I saw a stat yesterday, that the Mets going into last night's game against uh, with the Grom and the Padres were 2-12 and 12 against teams with a 500 or better record. That's not their fault. The Braves are a little under-indexed. They're an under-500 team. That's probably not going to last all season. Uh, so that number could change. But... I thought the last two nights were important because the one knock you can give the Mets, and it probably goes back to the Tampa series where Tampa was hot and getting swept in Chicago earlier this year, even with the 4A lineup, the pitching and and what you would expect and the fact that they've been in so many close games, you would think that number would be better. And as you see how difficult it's going to be to get into a wild card race, if those teams that I just mentioned continue to play at a high level, winning the division is important. You got to start to beat good teams, and they did that the last couple of nights. But I was surprised when I saw that stat. Well, and it is kind of a disjoint stat. You mentioned the Braves, but the Mets have also played well against the Phillies. And I know the Phillies are below 500, but I consider them a 500 team or above. They played; they took two out of three to the Nationals, who are below 500 team, but I don't think we look at them as that. Um, certainly, the Rays, the Cubs, the Cardinals—they're teams that the Mets have not handled well. But um, obviously. How many 500 teams are right now in the National League East? The Mets are the only one. 
So if most of your games in the NL East, then most of those games don't even come to the fruition of that stat. So I look at it, yeah, you want them to play better against teams that are above 500, but, you know, most of their schedule, if it stays in the East for a while the way it is, they're going to be playing teams under the 500 mark, especially with all the makeup games that they have to play. Um, I do think, though, it is important after losing two in San Diego to win the next two with your two best pitchers. I think that was important for the Mets to do. And now they head to Baltimore where they can have, you know, right now they have an over 500 road trip with two games left. They win two with Baltimore. It becomes a six and three trip. If they split, it's a five and four trip. So a better road trips than they had earlier in the season. So that certainly is, is an advantage and upwards for them as well. Yeah. And it's, it's a team that nothing other than DeGrom. Now we know how the bullpen has been good. That's that's been clear. Even defensively, when you look at the defensive stats and how they're top three uh, in defensive runs saved, despite the fact that they got criticized for not having really good defensive players. And, and in all honesty, some of these replacement Mets are pretty good defensive players. So in a way, they might be better. But offensively, nobody's having a standout season. Uh, in the rotation, you have DeGrom. Everyone else is pitching well, but DeGrom is at this next level. It's really the team that's everybody's doing just enough to win. You know, their, their run differential is not like the, the Dodgers or the Padres or the Giants who are at 75 plus runs. The Mets are, you know, about six or seven runs above, uh, you know, even. So it's interesting how it truly is guys just playing within themselves. Nothing sexy. It's different because when you look at the baseball reference page, you might say, oh, you know, this team isn't that good. But when you watch them day in and day out, you see them doing all the little things that I think were missing in 2019 and may have been the undoing of Mets teams that perhaps at different points in 18 and 19 or even 20, uh, you know, maybe uh, looked a little better on the baseball reference page. I think that's a good point. And, and, play today that Drury made at third base with a double play. I mean, that's a play they wouldn't have made last year or in 18 or 19. Where the third baseman dies for a ball, he kind of touches the bag with his glove or his hand. I don't know which he did. And then from his knees throws a strike to first base to get out of an inning. Um, Lindor's been terrific defensively. And he made another good play today late in the game to kind of curtail a Padre threat. So, you know, and I think that two of their better defensive players haven't even been in the lineup most of the year. Jeff McNeil, who I think is a very good defensive second baseman, and Brandon Nimmo, who I think is underrated defensively in center field. I think they've been missing a lot of games. And, you know, when you look at all the games that players have missed, I think the most striking one is the Mets have not gotten an inning from Carlos Carrasco yet this year, who we thought would be probably their second or third pitcher in the rotation. But when you look at their top three pitchers in their rotation right now, and Taewon Walker, of course, Jacob DeGrom and Marcus Stroman, all of them have a 2.6 ERA or lower. And I think that's the biggest reason why the Mets are in first place. Absolutely. Rich Catino, 98.7 ESPN at Catino nine on Twitter. Also, you could uh, check him out at the New York extra. Um, Jacob DeGrom, I don't know what to say here because part of me hopes, as Sports Illustrated does a cover story about now, and it used to be cheating on offense, now it's cheating and pitching, and about sticky stuff on baseballs. And, Rich, this is something that you and I offline talked about two years ago. I remember calling you one time and saying, Rich, there's this thing called Pelican uh, Grip, uh, Pelican grip uh, 
sticky stuff and it's being used and nobody's talking about it. And now here it is in a Sports Illustrated article. Uh, I'm not saying Jacob deGrom is cheating, but with all that's going on, he's defying logic. And, you know, when you listen to him, it's just simple mechanics, hard work. Grip doesn't really change velocity. Velocity is what really has been doing it for him. But even when you look at any kind of advanced metrics, the uh, release points, things that, you know, statistically you could plot on a chart. I mean, he's as close to perfect pitching as you can get. Video game pitching, a 624 ERA plus, an FIP, things he controls of 1.02, an actual ERA after the game is 0.62. He's blowing away Gibson and Pedro Martinez seasons. And I'm not one to say, because it's still very early, I'm not one to say best season ever because I hate when people do that. We've heard it about Greg Maddox and Pedro and Randy Johnson and so on. But, uh, you know, this doesn't look like it's going to slow down if he stays healthy. It's it's pretty surreal right now because I'm waiting for that one bad outing where he gives up eight runs in two innings and it all normalizes. And then, okay, let's go back to doing this. But I'm not seeing that. No. And I think the thing about him is, you know, and his talent speaks for itself, but He's also a very smart pitcher that, and I'll go with yesterday's game. In yesterday's game, he started throwing the slider much earlier than he did in other games because he figured the Padres are looking at film and saw that he liked to throw the first time around the lineup with mostly fastballs. So he decided to mix it up. And I think he's always thinking about making things better. I think he worked on his mechanics a little bit while he was on the injured list because he felt that the, the choppiness of his delivery maybe affected that injury he's always thinking ahead he comes to spring training every year throwing harder than he did the year before or throwing another pitch or or he's so ultra competitive and he's so focused and that focus heightens as the game goes on um it is early in the season. We're only a third of the way through the season or so. But it's the best first third of a season I've ever seen a pitcher pitch. And, yes, I hate the at-this-pace stat. I hate it. I think baseball's not that way. But in barring some kind of an injury, I think he's headed to probably the greatest starting pitching um, back of a baseball card that I've ever seen in all the years I've covered. I didn't cover Pedro day-to-day. I obviously didn't cover Bob Gibson day-to-day back in 1968. Their numbers speak for themselves. But there's a headiness to DeGrom that complements his talent that I don't see in a lot of pitchers today. He knows everyone's looking for the launch angle, so now he's commanded the top of the strike zone with his fastball. When he came up as a, a, a rookie pitcher the first couple of years, he was fastball low in the zone. He was low in the zone for the first three years of his career, but he saw the game change. So he made a change and he made that high fastball, a better pitch for him, the one right on top of the strike zone, the one that's right on top of the hitter. And something Tom Seaver said to me years ago, Mike, he said, it doesn't really matter how hard you throw. It matters what kind of late movement you have on the pitches. And every one of his pitches has late movement. He's starting to throw a couple of curveballs a game now that look terrific. Can you imagine, Mike, if now his curveball starts working for him? You know, he already had three incredible pitches. He had a fourth one now to the best pitcher in the game. And the other thing I had a problem with with a lot of the so-called experts is it seemed like every year they were trying to find a pitcher they thought was better than DeGrom. One year it was Luis Severino. Another year it was Garrett Cole. Another year it was Clayton Kershaw. Now, 
Kershaw and Cole are great pitchers. They have a tremendous amount of talent. But the disparity between them. Don't forget Michael Jacob, Pineda. Don't forget oh, yeah. Michael Pineda. Yeah, that's right. But, but my point is that, you know, they're great. You know, Garrett Cole's a great pitcher. He has great stuff. He's, he's got a headiness to the game, too. But the difference between DeGrom and these pitchers is mind-bogglingly. It's like a canyon. And that doesn't make what those pitchers are doing. You know, they don't – they still get credit for doing that. But if you don't think Jacob DeGrom is the best pitcher in the game, then I've taken you off the baseball expert list when I read your tweets or your articles. It's really that simple. He's the best pitcher in the game, and the the distance between number one and two is intense and immense. Absolutely. Rich Katina joining me, 98.7 ESPN. Uh, I had some issues, and I think Louis Rojas has done a really good job this year. I uh, had some issues early with I felt the bullpen was a little chaotic, but I think between the collaboration with the front office and the feel for players, uh, I'm okay with how he's managing the bullpen. I thought he took the ground out way too early in Arizona. I know they're playing the long game. I'm like, you know, it was such a low pitch count. Get him that one more inning. Steve Gelbs talked about this. DeGrom has not just been great. He's been efficient. For the amount of the 14 strikeouts per nine, it's not like he's uh, throwing 25 pitches an inning here. He's not like Al Leiter. When Al was later in his career, he would labor through five innings. Uh, He's not bad. He is getting out out of that inning with maybe 15 pitches, which if you strike out the side, that's tremendous. I mean, basically throwing strikes. Uh, And I know yesterday DeGrom said he was tired. He was tired uh, in San Diego. But we got to be careful here. What we don't want to have, and this is an early, you know, vision, is that we're so careful with DeGrom that you have a situation like what Grady Little had in the postseason where, you you know, you, you with that situation, you took Pedro out too late. But it was always a situation where with Pedro at times, or the old adage with managers is that they take a pitcher who's on cruise control out, the bullpen comes in, no matter how good your bullpen is, that other team breathes a sigh of relief. It's almost like a... They're out of jail. They got out of jail free card. And now all hit, hit chaos breaks. And, and look, that Arizona game got scary after he left, if not for a great play by Mason Williams. Yesterday it was Lugo and Diaz, and, and, and there was rather there was not much drama, but you know, those were not clean innings either, both of those guys had. So uh, I'm gonna be watching when are they gonna let this guy loose where he can do a hundred pitches like Strowman did today. And personally, Rich. Uh, I think Stroman was done when he took him out, so today was a good move. But I'm all for making guys go to 110 to 120 pitches. There's no reason why most guys can't, unless you're getting to a part of the order where they become hittable. Um, with DeGrom, I don't see why he can't go to 110. And uh, I hope they get to that point. Because I'm, I, 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 imagine when they release him past the 75-80 pitch count. Imagine that and what we could see. Yeah, and I think the Met whole pitching staff, particularly the top three guys in the rotation, if I were Louis Rojas sitting on the bench, I would say I need minimum 21 outs from these guys day in and day out, which means I got to get seven innings from them. And that doesn't only help your team because you're leaving a very talented pitcher in the game, but it helps your bullpen. Because let's say day one, DeGrom gives you seven innings, and then you bring Lugo in for the eighth and Diaz in for the ninth. And the following night, you know, Stroman gives you seven, and maybe you don't, you don't use Diaz, and, and, and maybe you use May and Luke. Maybe use familiar loop. Now, day three, when he gives you seven innings again, you can go back to the day one duo that you had. With the deepness of the Met bullpen, if you get seven innings from a starting rotation, you're going to win 90 to 95% of those games that you have a lead in. And I think the strength of this team is their starting pitching. 
And I don't like to see them leave after five or six innings. I like to see seven innings minimum, and I like to see them, some of them go eight innings. And But I think 21 outs is the minimum that those pitchers should be throwing night in that. Now, when Peterson throws, it could be a little different. When Lucchese throws, it could be a little different. But those top three pitchers should be going 21 outs, seven innings, regardless of their pitch count. And I, I'd like to see Louie transform that a bit as the season goes on. Rich Catino joining me, 98.7 ESPN. I think that part of that is the front office. And look, the strength of the bullpen has really carried them. The defense in the bullpen has carried them. And with some of the reinforcements, now I'm a little worried about J.D. Davis and Brandon Nimmo. I think those are longer-term injuries. But I would expect uh, McNeil to be back before the month is out. And and at worst-case scenario, Conforto back. Uh, by the all-star break and that I'm pushing that out there you have offensive reinforcements and at this point the way the team is now built and I talked about this last week this was a team that you went in the season that you, you expected them to score five plus runs a game offense no big deal you thought their rotation was good but you had some concerns as you went to the back end but no problem you know they'll be able to outscore teams and the real question mark was can this bullpen really become something you were optimistic but you weren't sure but again They'll score enough to overcome some of these things like they did in 2019. Well, guess what? It's the exact opposite. It's about defense. It's about pitching, specifically that bullpen. And you really don't need to score five-plus runs a game. You put up a crooked number, a four spot like they did last night, they're probably going to win. Usually it used to be if the Mets score five or more runs, here's their record. Now it's four or more runs. And in a depressed offensive era, maybe we need to start rethinking offense too i mean sticky stuff no sticky stuff whatever they figure out the problem is here we're seeing a trend we're seeing an outlier perhaps or maybe a trend just like we did in the 90s with offense and um you know i don't think the mets need now to worry because they have offense coming i thought maybe they need to look and get another bat um they don't have to score five six runs a game as currently constituted as long as they keep that bullpen fresh. So I think that ties into what you said, but it's interesting. The foundation of this team that we thought it was going to be completely different now at this point. Well, I thought the offense would be good, but I still thought the strength of this team was in their starting pitching going into the season. And I think it's, it's bared that out. And I really believed Strom was going to have a good year from jump when I saw him in spring training. And the thing about Strom that's been so impressive, Mike, is He's a different pitcher than he was even a year ago. He's certainly a much different pitcher than he was two or three years ago. Now he's commanding all four quadrants of the strike zone. He's got that high fastball that's on the top of the strike zone. He's got that sinker, and he's got that changeup to go to the lower part of the strike zone. When you go to the Mazbox against Marcus Stroman, you got to worry about you can't guess location because it can be in any one of the four quadrants at any time, at any count, at any moment. And I think he's improved – his pitching skills athletically he's a good athlete he feels his position well despite the play today um they all do you know walker's a good athlete as well as degrom is we all know degrom's a good hitter too so um but i think that you know one of the things that the mets have proven is that they and jeremy Heffner to deserve some credit for this they've worked with pitchers you know they worked with the jury's familiar reclamation project has been a resounding success. I mean, you can make the case that Familia may have had one of the most important bullpen appearances of the year in that Sunday night game in Philly. When yeah. it looked like everything was just, it looked like one of those games that could send the Mets on a 10 game losing streak. 
Sure. And he got some big outs. He's gotten big outs in other games for them. And I think he's done it because what Jeremy Hefner's done with these pitchers is he's returned them to what was successful for them. What's successful for Familia? Yeah, the slider's a good pitch of his, but that sinking fastball is still his best pitch. With Diaz, is a slider a good pitch? Yeah, it's a good pitch. It's kind of a changeup for him. But a 101-mile-an-hour fastball high in the strike zone is going to get by any hitter in the league. And he's approached that with players. Trevor Mays had a little bit of a downturn here. I expect Hefner to tell him to get back to what was good for him in Minnesota, and that was the high fastball. We saw it a little bit tonight in this game that when he got in trouble, he went back to that high fastball, and that's his best pitch. I think one of the things the Mets have done with all these pitchers in the bullpen and to a certain extent pitchers in the rotation is you have a best pitch. Use it more than your other pitches. Not saying don't use your other pitches at all because you have to show some variety, but give me that pitch that is, you know, successful for you. Aaron Loop, his best pitch is a slider, so it's absolutely reversed with Aaron Loop. But you got to throw that fastball in a good spot in order to get the difference between the location between the slider and the fastball. So I think that's a big, been a big part of it. I also think that the other thing people, you know, people are saying, well, the National League East has no one's really gotten over a good start. All the teams in this division had injury problems like the Mets. You know, the Phillies certainly did. The, you know, the, the Braves did. And the Marlins are starting to get some injuries now. And the Nationals have had injuries. But the Mets handled their injuries better. And there were two reasons for that. They had more depth and they put them in positions where they could succeed. And to me, that's been the difference in this division. Mets have a three and a half game lead over the Braves because the Braves have a really good roster, but the Braves haven't been able to really withstand injuries to guys like Darnell and to what missing a big ace in their rotation, you know, Soroka. And I think that, the Mets have done a good job with the injuries that they have come through. And guys have had great opportunities. I mean, I'll tell you right now, some of these young players are going to have to go down when the Mets injured players come back. But what kind of a roster do you think that's going to give them in September, Mike? When the rosters yeah. are expanded and the games are big, it's going to give Louie a lot of options to go to. And um, But I think that the Mets have handled the injuries well and – I think they've handled it better than other teams in their division. And that's the reason why the Mets have a best record in the National League East than anyone else does. They have the best record at home. And those two things are good. They have to play a little better on the road. They're starting to do that a little bit on this trip, a little better. But you want to play 500 on the road, Mike. You want to, you want to really light things up at home and you want to light things up in your division. And two of those things in that triple are already there for the Mets, the division record and the home record. Now they're going to try to get to that that road record to be close to 500 but Mets have done the things that you need to do to win a division and to me the Mets are one of the elite teams in the National League I think the elite teams to me are the Braves the Mets the Cubs the Giants Dodgers and Padres and I think you could take those seven teams and you could rank that any of them one to seven and and your argument could be a decent one so it's going to be interesting as we get closer to playoff time, but I think the Mets are one of the elite teams in the National League, and I know a lot of the riders don't want to admit that because it doesn't fall into the narrative of, of the, the Mets are a mess. Just like it doesn't, just like in this offseason, you're going to kind of fit into the, ma- the narrative that the Knicks are a mess when we know the Knicks aren't a mess. Okay. <laughs> so I think that, you know, I try to just take that and 
throw to the side a little bit. If you can't see what an elite team this Met team is, then I think you need to take a baseball one-on-one course and understand the game. And I'm willing to teach one to some of these riders if they want to listen. Uh, Marcus Stroman mentioned after the game the camaraderie with the team, and I think that's a big part of it. I think they like each other. I think that uh, with the thun, it's not just they like each other. They're they're really having fun out there. They know their roles. And I talked about the old Thunderbolts that hit teams and how you have enough of these, like the Mets did. You almost become immune to this. You become, uh, you know, it doesn't bother you anymore. Uh, and when you guys, you know, got Peraza and McKinney and, and, and Mason Williams, guys like this coming in, and the Mets have done a good job of on the fly, knowing that they needed to have a little bit more of a, a uh, length in terms of time with some of these uh, replace the Mets and they went out and got better ones. And there might be some uh, interesting, uh, uh, you know, decisions they have to make. McKinney doesn't have any options. Mason Williams doesn't have any options. Peraza, I believe it does. I'm looking at this on roster resource. Uh, yeah. Blankenhorn does. So at some point when Conforto and McNeil come back, uh, you know, Mason Williams is going to have to go down. They may lose these guys because these guys are going to, potentially show something here and another team's going to pick them up. I think McKinney's a guy that's always been talented and uh, the Yankees were actually very high on him. If you remember rich a couple of years Mm -hmm. ago, he made the team out of opening day. And I think he blew out his knee. If I'm not mistaken, like on the first game of the season, the second game of the season, he's a guy that I would say you may have to find some reason to keep, because if you option him with no options, he's going to get scooped up. You may need these guys again. There's no guarantee that you're not going to have an injury. So the flip side is that these replacements have been very important. They become somewhat of a footnote as they get later in the season. You may never hear from them again, but you still may need them. And they're going to have to find a way to make that decision and, and potentially keep these guys somehow on the active roster because they may lose them. And, you know, it's interesting when and if Carrasco comes back, and that's been pushed off now for a while, he's going to replace someone in the rotation. Who's he going to replace? I guess right now, if it happened today, he'd replace Lucchese in the rotation. But if Lucchese's uh, pitching better, that's an interesting decision they have to yeah, make. Yeah, I think Peterson and Lucchese. I think Peterson and Lucchese. I know that Peterson has had some good outings, uh, you know, really disappointed in how he couldn't get out of the first inning, his last outing. And unlike Lucchese, Peterson's advanced metrics don't necessarily indicate that his current performance is, you know, an outlier. Lucchese's advanced metrics are better than Peterson's in a way. Uh, but I guess Peterson maybe in their eyes have more upside. The decision's going to have to go with stuff. I think Peterson has the better stuff. But I've always been intrigued by Lucchese's deception. I know they're having some fun, the team, by trying to get his churve to be uh, put on the scoreboard. That's the kind of camaraderie I'm talking about. There's so much positive energy. It's almost hard, Rich, to do a radio show when there's this much positive energy because you're, 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 you don't want to start to sound Pollyannish or throw too many platitudes. There's certainly concerns about this team. They're not healthy. Uh, you know, they, they, they still are a team that plays a very close to the vest. So anything goes haywire at any moment, any game could go the other way. They're not bulldozing anybody. Um, but, you know, you got to feel really good. I can't really say there's too much negative. And you're a positive guy normally, Rich, but, you know, we're, we're realistic. What kind of negative is there? What, what kind of storm clouds other than the injuries, the thunderbolts of those injuries that they've had? I think if there's any negative things anyone writes or reports on, it's, it's fantasy world. Because there's so much positivity. You know, I know the whole thing with Stroman and the thing that Bob Brenly said got a lot of play. 
but the Mets all support Stroman. You know, the Mets all supported Dominic Smith last year. Regardless of what their thoughts were on the issues, it's a player, it's family, and that's the way they constitute it. I, I also think that, you know, Brody Van Wagenen deserves a little credit here because when you look at this bullpen, where would this bullpen be without Miguel Castro? And that was a Brody Van Wagenen acquisition. And he also, I mean, again, people hate when I bring it up, but Brody's uh, team brought Jacob Barnes in. Uh, and if you remember in Peraza, and Barnes were brought in right before the sale. They were scrap heaps. And uh, who would have thought? I mean, that's the way the crazy thing about baseball, Rich. Who would have thought here we are in October waiting for the sale, waiting for the Mets to uh, transfer ownership to Steve Cohen. And, uh, you know, nobody is really paying attention to uh, to the whole thing. You know, And, I know, and I here know, he is. They- there he is, you know. And I know when they looked at the trade, everyone criticized it, Cano and, you know, Diaz. But, you know, you can make the argument that with the exception of Craig Kimbrell, Diaz has been the best closer in the National League this year so far. Okay? That's why they got him. Because he showed that in 2018 in Seattle. Okay? And, you know, there's a lot of stuff that Brody did, how he drafted. When you look at guys like Beatty, when you look at guys, you know, like Crow Armstrong, and I know he had some injury stuff going on, but there's a lot of quality depth in their organization that Brody brought in. Just like when Omar left, he left a lot of parting gifts for the Mets. Guys like the name of Jacob DeGrom and Daniel Murphy. Okay. And I think that this team reminds me a lot of the 2015 team. Not only what you're talking about with the camaraderie they have in the clubhouse with each other, but they have guys fighting for positions on this team that are rooting for each other when they're the guy that's taking and bats away from them are in the lineup. I saw that in 15 team with Kadir and Murphy, and I saw it with, you know, when they brought in, you know, players in trades and playing time got taken away from Jeff McNeil and everyone rooted for each other. Dominic Smith, Pete Alonzo, the poster child for that couple years ago as well and you don't see that in every baseball clubhouse sometimes you don't see them not rooting for each other but sometimes there's that closet antagonism that comes to the forefront and i don't see that with this team no they're pushing through the negativity there always was a cloud of negativity uh especially towards the end of the wilpon ownership the media perpetuated that it was always this yolk around their neck and they have the yolk look it's it's one of the hardest places to be in new york you're in the shadow of the yankees you have the expectation of the yankees in the past you didn't have the payroll of the yankees now you can you can play with the yankees financially but you don't have the history and sometimes you don't have the positive energy around the team because the fan base at times too is expecting to lose there's a lot of disappointment in the last 35 years that has to be washed away and it's not just going to happen in, in a little bit but but you, but a, you went through an entire decade we're the only general manager in this city to get to a World Series with Sandy Alderson. Sure. It wasn't Brian Cashman. Sure. And I think Cashman's going to start to feel some heat if the Yankees continue on the way that they're going right now. But that's Absolutely. another story for another day. But my point is that Sandy Alderson got to a World Series in 2015 in the middle of the Madoff mess. That's an amazing accomplishment. And I don't sure. think it's one – that Sandy ever gets credit for, just like I don't think Brody Van Wagenen gets credit for promising Pete Alonzo he was going to start on opening day, knowing that the service time issue could bear the fruit, but 
He wanted to let players know if you earn the playing time, you're going to get it. And look what happened. The greatest home run season in the history of any rookie in the game. Right. So did Brody make mistakes? Absolutely. But I got news. We all make mistakes in our life. And I think that, you know, if the Mets get to the playoffs and go far this year, you won't hear people credit Brody, but I can tell you if you got Sandy in a room and gave him some truth serum, Sandy would say, I feel like I'm going through the same thing when I did what, what Omar left me the first time I was here. There, and it's there, an there's more there than they think. Everybody's been focused on Kelnick and it's amazing. He hit 096, Kelnick all of a sudden becomes a footnote uh, on a lot of media outlets and whatnot. Hey, Rich, before I let you go, so Sports Illustrated, uh, you know, brings up, the, like I said, the, the st- sticky substance epidemic that's going on in baseball with Pelican Grip Dip and uh, Grip Drip or whatever it's called and all other type of substances. Some of these you can get on Amazon if you really want to go and, and research it. And look, I don't know how many pitchers are using it. I'm sure the Mets have guys that are using it. And putting stuff rosin or some kind of substance on your hands to get a grip on the baseball has been going on since the age of time. And it could be a safety issue too. I mean, this was brought up by Dave Martinez today. One of his players got hit in the face, just like Kevin Pillar. And with a lot of guys not really having commanded their pitches, throwing a hundred, you know what bad things could happen there, but we're kind of at a crisis. And I, I always have said, everybody blames the launch angle and hitting approach. And I certainly agree with that. But I don't think that alone should be the reason why we see offense depressed. I think baseball's at a crossroads similar to what the NBA was at the turn of the century with the hand check rule. And everybody got so good at defense that it was impossible to score. Even though I found Nick's heat entertaining for the, for the product, it wasn't good at the long term. The NFL had a crackdown on contact where now, I mean, wide receivers, you can't breathe on them. It's a, you know, it's a penalty. Uh, it's pass interference. Uh, and then you had the neutral zone trap and what the Devils did so successfully under Lou Lamorello and how the NHL had to address that. I think baseball has to address that, but I don't think it's about bases getting increased or, you know, things like that. Uh, you know, maybe it's this sticky stuff. You know, maybe that's the ticket here um, because I'm, I'm not for really, there's not many things you can do to generate offense like those sports did. You, you know, you, you can't have it become slow pitch softball. So is it the sticky stuff? The only other thing, Rich, and there's nothing you can do, is as we get to be more technologically advanced with cameras and data and players embracing it and becoming smarter, inevitably it's going to get harder to do the craft of hitting. I think that's the biggest part of it. All this technology, all these cameras, all these uh, you know, uh, schools that these guys go to in the offseason, they're benefiting the pitcher, and they're making a tough task even tougher and uh, it, it's got to be more than that. But if it's the sticky stuff, boy, I got to tell you, this is going to be hard to legislate out because steroids is still in the game, even though they are able to test for it. You, you know, they still uh, we've seen that here in the Mets with Cano. How do you how do you figure out where this sticky stuff is? They're putting on their laces. What are you going to do a Mike Scott 86 postseason and look at all the balls after every inning? Really, really interesting uh, crossroads here that the sport is at. It is. And I think that, you know, one of the things that, you know, they're saying they're going to check the ball between innings or when a new pitcher comes in. What are they going to do then? Like, what's the punishment? That pitcher's out of the game. And what if you get another pitcher coming in using the cream and the lotion? 
it, what, this is what I said during the sign stealing. Sign stealing has been going on in baseball since the beginning of time. Okay. Um, some of it is bigger than. Make them steal it. signs now. That'll increase offense. <laughs> Make but, them steal signs, increase offense, you know? But the point is, Mike, Major League Baseball, there was this Yankee thing that didn't come out that they basically said, well, you know, uh, the judge wanted to reveal the tapes and we weren't allowed to hear them. Who knows what was on those tapes? Let's remember Carlos Beltran played for both organizations, the Yankees and the Astros. Okay, so what's to think that Beltron didn't bring some of his Astro technology to the Bronx? And part of that was, you know, sign stealing. We don't know. We don't know. And then all of a sudden when Beltron left, came to the Yankees, all of a sudden then Major League Baseball started investigating what was going on, okay? Then when Beltran left the Yankees, the investigation was done, and all of a sudden now something else came to the forefront. Now this cream stuff. But listen, Derek Cole, if Derek Cole used cream any time in his career, and I don't know if that's the case or not, he's laughing all the way to the bank every time he gets his paycheck. Mm. And when a pitcher down in the minors sees that and says, I have talent, but that cream can give me the edge to get to make $90 million in a 10-year period of time. What person do you know, Mike, that would turn his back on that and say, I'm not even going to try it? Right. And that's, that's the whole thing with steroids, too, where if you said to a baseball player, well, if you take steroids, you can lose 10 to 15 years of your life. But if you take it, you might be able, in a 20-year period, be able to make a million dollars a year, $20 million. It's like telling someone, well, you go 10 years of your life for $20 million now. And Mike, who would turn that down? Yeah, it's very tough. And it's it, with, the, with the sticky stuff, it goes back to playing in professional sports is like winning the lottery. Even if you get a modest career, you know, five, six, seven years of service time, the money you make, the connections you make, the standing in the game. And if you get to that golden parachute, 10 years service time with that pension, you're pretty well set up for the rest of your life. So I understand why they're doing it. I just think that we oversimplify issues. And my biggest fear, Rich, is that we take a really good game that may be going through something cyclical post-COVID, post-shortened season, um, where people are starting to use new technology, and we genetically modify it, for lack of a better word, and make it worse with big bases or moving the mound back or whatever. I think we're good at, at, at ruining things or trying to make things have the result that we want. Uh, this one's going to be tough, and I'm curious to see what comes in the next few weeks. I mean, look, there was talk you know, over Twitter with fans saying, look at the Padres, look at Musgrove, look at you, Darvish. They were going to their glove all the time. I don't know if they were putting any sticky stuff on there. And guess what? I'm not sure if it's going to have an impact. Now, their revolutions uh, are up on their off-speed pitches, so clearly something's going on. The data indicates something's going on, um, but you know, could it be just improvements in technology and information? That we'll never know. Sometimes the fact that information is power and that you can have the self-awareness to improve doesn't mean you're cheating. It just means that you know guys are just becoming smart. And hitting and if, a baseball is really hard, Rich, really hard. There, there's cream on the ball, and players are using it all over the place in baseball. Then 
when they end an inning and the ball goes back to the mound, why does be the able to see on the that. opposing team be able to see there's something on the ball? Yeah, yeah. I think that that's where this is uh, going to come. Hey, Rich, so uh, what do you got next? The New York Extra, 98.70 ESPN. I know you were just on with Larry Hardesty uh, on Sunday evening. What do you got coming up uh, for Rich um, Catino over the next ESPN's going to be sending me on a few road trips because of the Mets play. I think I'm going to be going to that giant Dodger road trip, which is going to be interesting if Trevor Bauer faces the Mets. That can always mm. be intriguing. That's a good one. Nice, nice road trip and, to go um, on. And um, a bunch of other trips, you know, the Washington, Philly, Atlanta divisional trips. So Mets are, um, Mets are a story in Major League Baseball. So that's going to be, you know, the New York Extra still working with them to, um, you know, basically cover the Mets for them as well. So um, as baseball players would say, I'm double dipping a bit. So, there you um, go. so but it, life is good and. I have my vaccines, my two vaccines. I feel good about that. And then I heard rumors this week that there's going to be one-on-one abilities on the field. Yep. uh, And some nice crowds, some nice crowds at city field. It may actually this coming weekend against the Padres, uh, you may have as much of normal baseball feeling between on-field access for reporters, about 33,000. If they all show up in the stands, hopefully there's some good weather. We haven't had great weather in the tri-state area this spring and uh, might be as close to normal baseball as we've seen in a long, long time. It's a good thing, right, Rich? Yeah, and Jacob DeGrom getting a return match with the Padres. You know, that that's going to be interesting. The Mets play the Padres seven times in all in the space of a week. They split the tour in San Diego, and then they get three with them um, at City Field. And the Mets are going to line up DeGrom and Stroman to both pitch in that series, and I'm sure – that the uh we're going to see Paddock and we're probably going to see um Darvish, Darvish. at some point in that series yeah. too. Yep, for so, sure. So, or maybe even Blake Snell. So, well, it should be an interesting series. Rich, be well. Thanks my friend. It's been too long. Glad you had a chance to come on. Let's do it again. Sounds good, Mike. All the best to you and your family. Rich Catino, 98.7 ESPN. Good stuff. Just chatting Mets baseball. It's great when there's no controversy. It's like this relaxed we're just, you know, and you don't want to, I worry about putting too many platitudes out there because there's always storm clouds. We've seen so many thunderbolts, but um, you got to really feel good. The fact that they were able to come back, win these two games this weekend and, and the Western part of their trip go four and three. Now they get a day off. They can't relax because Baltimore is a place, like I said last week, small ballpark, you know, they got some hitters. You have a bad outing. All of a sudden, you know, crooked number goes up there and you have some problems in Baltimore, but uh, it's looking pretty good for the Mets as they try to finish up this road trip and then head home. And, and hopefully as we get later and later into June, more health and more reinforcements. And this thing could get really fun. All right. We'll be back with final thoughts right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five, because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon and enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. Final thoughts. Always enjoy catching up with Rich Catino. And that's, I can't call them interviews anymore. I'm going to call them conversations. That's what we have here. We have conversations. We have debates sometimes. 
polite, no screaming and yelling. If you get me screaming and yelling, you got to get me really fired up. But uh, everything is conversation, and, and, and that's what this is all built on, and we'll continue to have that. Hey, before I uh, sign off for the week here, I wanted to send a couple of shout-outs here. I, always, I haven't gotten to the reviews with uh, iTunes, and I always say, send me a review. As long as it's fair, send me a review. Why wouldn't you do five stars? This is a great show. But if you don't want to do five stars, that's fine. But the more reviews, the more activity, the more credibility the show gets. Obviously, we have a growing, burgeoning audience, a diverse audience from different countries and different thoughts. And, and that's good. And and I always say that. It's good. I'm not asking you to agree with me all the time. I hope that I give you something to think about throughout the week. Sometimes it might make you mad, but I hope to give you something to think about. And, you know, guests as well, like Rich, like some of the former Mets we've had on, like authors. And I try to be different. I try to make this a, a, a fun show. So anyway... A couple of uh, Apple Podcast reviews. G-Man 37. Mike Silva's Talking Mets is the go-to New York Mets podcast. Mike offers his frank reviews of the players, the team, and management on a weekly basis. Good place to check in on what's going on with the Mets and MLB. Been listening for a while and check in weekly during the season and in the weeks leading up to the new season. Highly recommended. That's an interesting. So it looks like maybe he backs off a little bit, G-Man, when the season's over. And, and sometimes I see that downloads go up in the off season. It's interesting when you look at the psychology. When I did a website, nybaseballdigest.com, which was starting to get some traction and hold one day I'll tell that story. But the the months where it dropped off precipitously is when the baseball season started. April, May, you know, maybe a little bit. If there was something going on in May, it would pick up a little bit. And then it would have a real drop off early June. But then it would pick up between late June and the uh, trade deadline. And then it would drop, unless the Mets were in the race, it would drop off a lot in August. And then, you know, until the offseason kicked off when the Mets were eliminated, September, October. You know, I'm not sure I see the same trends here with the podcast. But anyway, G-Man, thank you for the review. Five stars. You get it. And and hopefully we could get you a little bit more, if I'm reading this correctly, hopefully we'll get you to engage with the show a little bit more in the offseason. But to each his own, and there's nothing wrong with that. Now, the notorious DEV, very scary. Uh, Welp, if you're looking for a Mets podcast that's from a glass-half-empty type of person, then this is the one for you. I get being honest when it comes to this team, but this dude is a real downer 99% of the time. I think I've been pretty fair with this team. And over the last couple of years, I've been accused of being too fair or too optimistic with Wilpon ownership. Um, I think this show that we just ended on, I mean, I gave you something that bothered me a little bit with the Grom utilization, understanding why they do it, and something I'd like to see them do uh, differently going forward. And obviously, you know, they were they're two and twelve against five hundred plus teams. It is what it is. The stats don't don't lie. So if you're going to consider those topics that I did in the opening, Debbie Downer, well, I can't lie. You're you're not wrong if that's the way you're going to catalog those, but. I, I, I'm surprised, and, and he gave me two stars. At least he didn't give me one star, the Notorious DEV. So um, there you go. And then I don't know if I gave this guy a shout-out, but DH Mets, outstanding podcast. Mike is knowledgeable and fair in all Mets matters. Love the format and guests. Only wish we could hear more of this talk each week. Well, you know, we haven't done a short in a while, and quite honestly, uh, as I came into the show today and uh, talking to Rich and whatnot, when things are good, if you didn't have the whole DeGrom thing, it's really like you're just throwing platitudes. It's drama and agita 
makes for good media. I hate to say it. I'm not that guy that wants to fabricate it, but some of the more impassioned podcasts are when there's chaos going on. And it's good that there's not because there's plenty of positive things to talk about. And uh, believe me, as we go through this journey, as the Mets try to get to where they want to get, which is to be a postseason team, and they hit all different aspects of this marathon, and we're there to talk about it together, there'll be plenty of time for Ajita, I'm sure, because Ajita is always around the corner in a 162-game baseball season. So anyway, I want to thank everybody. Please leave me a review if you so desire. Uh, you know, Hopefully it's five stars. And even leave some comments. I know a lot of people just leave you know, three-star, four-star, five-star. I think what's funny about my Apple rating is I see so many people who have like just fives across the board. I'm like, I don't care how good your show is. Nobody's a five all the time. And with me, I feel like everybody's going to give me a very fair review. It's not always going to be a five. Sometimes I get ones and I think it's unfair because it's about they don't like my opinion. That's not the point of the Apple podcast. But hey, it's a free country and I'm never going to deny you your right to express your opinion in the manner that you want. But it's not kind of what the Apple podcast is about. So anyway, hey, I want to thank Rich Catino of 98.7 ESPN for joining me today. I want to thank all of you for tuning in here on this off day. Of course, you could check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy your week. Enjoy another week of Mets baseball. Until next time, take care, everybody. Mets.